0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life
1: by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
2: A very good weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Set your culinary sights higher because I'm sharing delicious inspiration this hour. This is your culinary and lifestyle show and there's deliciousness every weekend. We celebrate the lifestyle and food, wine, health, tech, travel, and more. It's my goal to feed your soul. So mark your calendar and be sure to tune in. And if you happen to have missed a show, don't worry. My podcasts are posted on iTunes under Food & Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen," And you'll find an arsenal of recipes to fill every day with fabulous flavor at chefjamie.com. I'm keeping you updated on the food scene. On this show, we take deep explorations of a broad range of topics. So please stay tuned because you just might learn something and I'll give you a reason to overeat. (laughs) You can find my daily dish, by the way, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. But first, before we get to a couple of illustrious guests this hour... I thought I would wax poetic on the wonders of Wondra. I kick off this show with a tutorial of sorts, a method or insight to make you the best chef you know. And most of us are already using the easily dissolving instant flour for lumpy free gravies and sauces, right? But if you've ever wondered about Wondra, here is the lesson. It is so much more than just for gravy. It's a wheat flour that has been pre-cooked and then dried, much like instant rice. So, it dissolves without seizing up when you stir it into a hot liquid. It has a lower protein content, which also makes it brilliant for so many applications, and you just need to know how to use it. I made biscuits on TV recently, and the secret was Wondra. And anything baked that has instant, and oftentimes a combination of instant flour and self-rising flour in it, is fabulous. And if you replace instant flour in your batters, those that call for all purpose, you will get silky smooth lusciousness every time. Now, this conversation arises because I've been asked for that biscuit recipe over and over again, and I'll gladly share with you um, what I call angel biscuits, inspired by Shirley Courier, a great food scientist who is no longer with us, uh, she left a grand legacy and instant flour, albeit I saw my mom use it, you know, making uh, Thanksgiving gravy when I was growing up. Um, it really has so many more uses and it's really, uh, used in so many more applications today that if it's sitting in the back of your pantry or your cabinet, then it, it's time to take it out. Now it has a baby powder-like consistency. And it's one of those little secrets you should keep in your back pocket. And by the way, if it's been sitting in the back of the cabinet for some time, it's time to buy new. Now, this lesson on Wondra is also prompted by another recent recipe post. It's Jacques Pepin's chicken nuggets that have taken the world by storm. Really, you ask? (laughs) Yes, Jacques Pepin makes what is essentially a chicken nugget. There's no breading step Uh, There's no deep frying and there's no mess. Instead, the recipe promises everything your crispy chicken loving heart desires. And it's the help of a bit of Wondra flour and a nonstick skillet. And he does it with uh, chicken breasts or pieces that are boneless and then adds garlic and parsley at the end for one final flourish of flavor. But it's the method behind preparing the chicken that really gets you. So more on Jacques Papin's chicken nuggets in a moment. But back to Wondra or Instant Flour, whatever name it goes by, depending upon where in the country you live. Now, if your summer plans, because summer is coming, include fish fries or pan fries or breading and frying other meats and vegetables, Instant Flour makes a light and crispy, delicious crust. Simply coating chicken pieces with instant flour yields this ultra crunchy, beautifully browned coating for chicken. And it's much sturdier than all-purpose flour. If you make calamari at home or fried squash blossoms, try using instant flour for your coating. Now, Julia Child always recommended instant flour for crepes because the flour dissolves so easily, you only need like a five to 10 minute resting period rather than an hour that is usually required when you make crepe batter with all-purpose flour. But my absolute favorite application for instant flour is pie crust. So if you are planning for big, beautiful berry pies this summer, or you've... Uh, embraced spring and you've begun uh, lemon pie making, well, swap instant flour for all-purpose flour and you will get this flaky, lovely bite that is thanks to the low protein content in the instant flour. Now, by the way, protein means gluten in this instance, and gluten means a tough crust, So you should know that the instant flour use is not completely interchangeable in every recipe. Because of its low protein content, it doesn't behave the same in recipes that rely on all purpose flour for gluten formation, which is chewiness, like bread or pizza dough. And some baking recipes are very precise. So you might not get fudgy brownies if you're looking for a swap here, but pie crust and angel food cake are made brilliant with light, lovely instant flour added to the cake batter. Now, if you butter and flour your cake pans, instant flour coats and covers the pan without ever clumping in the corners. Have you thought of that? Great chef's trick. And Wondra is the most readily available brand of instant flour. Uh, that's the brand name itself. And it includes a small amount of malted barley flour in it, which helps with browning and caramelization. Now, Pillsbury makes an instant flour called shaken and Uh, shake and blend, I believe. Um, It's not on my supermarket shelves on the West Coast, Uh, but we should get back to that chicken, right? So, If you want to cook like Jacques Pepin, and yes, he makes a chicken nugget, you simply cut chicken breasts into nugget-sized chunks and you dry the chicken cubes with paper towels and then you place them in a mixing bowl. You add some Wondra flour, salt and pepper. You heat a thin layer of oil in a large nonstick skillet over high heat until it's very hot but not smoking. And you add the chicken pieces And you cook them in one layer, turning occasionally, about three and a half, four minutes total. And then to elevate them on an adult chicken level, for grown-up chicken nuggets, I should call them, you combine melted butter, garlic, and parsley in a small bowl, and you toss the crispy chicken in the garlic butter, and you have what might be the fanciest and most delicious chicken nugget you've ever had. So with that said, Wondra can be a one-ingredient miracle, and I'd love to know what you use instant flour for, or if you test a recipe per this last conversation and have a culinary epiphany, I want to know about that too. You can email me directly. It's jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. And this just in, oh, this is really good food news, if I may say myself. I actually jumped for joy when reading this. Uh, In my research, I have found that just released for the first time ever, the Hellman's Mayonnaise Company is making ketchup. The Unilever-owned condiment brand, Hellman's has announced that it will release a ketchup product for the first time in the U.S. and it's supposed to be released right about now. Now I use best foods when I can't get my hands on Hellman's, but if you don't think I'm going to search out this ketchup, well, then you just don't know me. Hellman's Real Ketchup, as it's called, will be available nationwide And Hellman says that the product is made with only six ingredients, tomato puree, honey, white wine vinegar, spices, onion powder, and salt. No artificial ingredients or preservatives and everything is non-GMO. Now the marketing director at Hellman's said, and I quote, over time, food has continued to evolve and it's time for ketchup to evolve too. And I will say, Russell Lilly, I agree. I have always loved the ketchup you love too. I was raised a Heinz girl, but I am open for new ketchup possibilities. And so I'm all in and I can't wait to taste it. How about you? And that is some good food news that you can use for sure. Don't touch your dial because when we come back, we're having a dumpling party. Oh yes. Xiao Ching Chow is here. And Chinese soul food will be delivered right after this. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't go away. If you're hungry for beautiful food, remarkable wines, and juicy conversation, well, then this is your show. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Chinese soul food is classic comfort food you can't resist, and I have very fond memories from my childhood of eating shu with my mom in a Chinese restaurant where it was served on Malmac plates, and it was oh so scrumptious. Xiao Qing Chao is an award-winning food journalist and a cooking instructor who has been making dumplings in her mother's kitchen since she was eight years old, worked at her family's Chinese restaurant growing up, and spent more than a decade as the food editor of the Denver Post. You've seen her on the Travel Channel's No Reservations with Tony Bourdain because her knowledge of classic Chinese dishes is much appreciated in the wide world of gastronomy. And her first and much-anticipated cookbook has just released, entitled Chinese Soul Food, with 80 recipes for Chinese favorites that you can make easily any night of the week. And I'm so glad to have you here to dish. Hi, Xiaoqing. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me on on your show, Jamie. Yes, of course. Um, I love the Chinese market. I want you to know that. I find it so inspiring i buy something new or a different chinese sausage every time just to find a new use for it it's my favorite ethnic market and i I really do think it's very aspirational i wanted you to know that off the bat
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know i i always find new things to discover at the asian market as well um there's you know the, the the types of ingredients that come in changes all the time um, in addition to some of the basics that I like to buy, but you know, you never know what um, what special pantry ingredient might get imported. from from week to week. So it's pretty exciting for me too.
2: That it is. So can we talk some Chinese ingredient essentials before we cook? I love the introduction in the book because I felt like I got to better know the ingredients that I'm using. And I would love if you would help us understand soy sauce, please.
1: The first thing I tell people is that um, soy sauce is different from Asian cuisine to Asian cuisine. I think most people know... Kikoman, which is a, a, quite a common brand, it's it's good. It's on every um, on many restaurant tables and in in home kitchens. But that is just one mass produced brand, and it is a Japanese brand. So what it, what the the, the the key thing I want people to take away is that if you're going to cook a lot of Chinese food, I highly recommend looking for a Chinese soy sauce. The flavor profiles are different. The, the sodium uh, levels are also different. And I talk a little bit about that in my book. Um, and I want people to kind of just, just even have that idea in their head that not all soy sauces like wines they're not all the same, where they are made makes them taste different. Um, The other aspect that I want people to understand is that when they are buying soy sauce, they should look for the words naturally fermented and brewed on the label. That will key into them that that the soy sauce is actually produced uh, with time and care versus just something that was uh, manufactured in, in any old factory. And you'll have uh, a richer flavor, more um, some of that, more of that funkiness, and that fermented um, flavor that will come through, and it's it makes a difference in your cooking. And these soy sauces aren't expensive, so it's just noticing that um, you know if it's uh, brewed in China or in Taiwan, then that will help help tell you where where it was made.
2: Yes, and that fermented funk is the goodness to me. Like the funkier the better um <laughs> Chinese black vinegar I love I can't get enough of it. I would yeah. use it as perfume as I could if I could there no i really I really think that there are some extraordinary Chinese ingredients that we don't make enough use of and i going back to soy for a minute, I thought it was really interesting to read as you write light soy sauce tends to be saltier i think there's a great confusion about soy sauce tamari low sodium and really what you're getting out of the the soy sauce itself is the is the flavor it enhances the ultimate dish with and so you you need to consider that
1: yeah it's it's not it should not be an afterthought is my point and and i don't necessarily people that they have to buy a specific brand because even for Chinese cooks it, it really is a personal choice um, there are so many flavors some people like something that may be um, maybe denser or thicker or richer or you know it, or something that has a lighter body and and there really are are differences so so it's just something if you have the chance to try different ones do that, um, but even just buying a different bottle than what you normally have will will help you kind of expand your your palate.
2: Oh, I see a soy sauce tasting in my future.
1: You know, and I've done that. And I actually, uh, for the purposes of of this book, I invited a friend of mine who's a sommelier over, and we had you know a dozen or so soy sauces and. We tasted each one. I actually poured them into crystal wine glasses so that we could kind of get...
2: (laughs) Very nice. Try to
1: apply some some of those tasting principles to this to get...
2: Oh, um, I love it.
1: Yeah, to get some of those words. It was a fun, if salty...
2: Um, <laughs> yes, I can <could> imagine. <laughs> um, before we make a batch of dumplings, can we talk chopstick etiquette for a moment, please? I want you to know I don't do it. And this is for novices and connoisseurs alike. I've never done it, but I did not know that stabbing your chopsticks into the bowl of rice symbolizes death. And mind you, I'll really never, ever do it now. Um,
1: you know, it it's, uh, it's one of those faux pas that that people just don't know, and, and you can't fault them for not knowing because that's just a, it's a cultural thing. But I did want to mention that because I see it happening so often. You know, people, um, their tendency is to uh, want to play with the chopsticks. They uh, drum with them, and then when they're eating, they just they stab the, the chopsticks into their food. I mean, you wouldn't leave your fork standing up in your bowl. No. You take your fork out when you're not using it. Most Set right. it down on the plate or or to the side of the plate. And it's the same kind of thing. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't stab your your food with chopsticks. And yeah, it it mimics uh, uh, like an incense bowl. And and you know you're making you're you're honoring the the uh, dead with this incense that you put into. A a bowl of sand, and it looks like that, and so it's kind of taboo to do that with your
2: chopsticks and your food. So interesting, and I see it
1: all the time, and I see it in photos, um,
2: yes, photo shoots. And you quiver, and I know your children would never dare. Well, it is. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. They'll
1: they'll get the the hairy eyeball. Yes. They do anything besides what they're supposed to
2: do with chopsticks. Right. And and they know it, too. Appropriate chopstick behavior. Xiao Qing, we need to take a quick break. You're making me hungry. But when we come back, there's more Chinese soul food in your radio. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here as we dish with Shao Ching Chow, Dumpling Diva, on her book, Chinese Soul Food. I know you you sell out classes um, on uh, dumpling making in Seattle. Um, and I would love if you would give us a quick tutorial, the best tips and tricks you can to make a batch of dumplings. It is a technique that is mastered with practice, wouldn't you say?
1: It is. If you want to get into all of the, the pleating, but what I like to remind people is that the the dumplings, especially for uh, just like your your regular um, uh, potstickers or boiled dumplings, you know, that dough is very simple. It is all-purpose flour and water, and you should not be afraid of that. I give you instructions for how to bring that dough together. It is really forgiving there's you know it's not a finicky dough at all and you can do it but once you make the dough uh, you can roll out your your own dumpling wrappers I also walk people through that and again it's just breaking it down so that that people aren't afraid to do it this is not you know you're not making uh, a fancy pie crust or anything like that there's it, it doesn't break and then um, when you're sealing them, you, you can just do a very basic um, fold on these and uh, that's functional and gets the job done. You can have your dumplings. You know, it, it only gets difficult and, and overwhelming when you're trying to do all the different types of pleating, and that does take a lot of practice to, to get it consistent. But in my classes, I show people about five different ways to pleat their dumplings, and I remind them that they're going to look like mine. My uh, my mom's dumplings and my dumplings—they don't look alike. The only place where you'll see dumplings that look exactly alike is in a restaurant where they train and they're very specific about the the uh, the technique because people pay for consistency. But at home, it's home cooking. You know, it's okay if it's a uh, if they're all kind of home. You know, just very homey looking. That's all right. They that's the beauty.
2: Yes, but that's the beauty of them. The 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 pride in knowing that you made homemade dumplings. The individuality of each of them. I I will make dumpling dough uh, by your uh, technique and lesson, but I might start with shumai. I love shumai, and you say that they're the most. Forgiving. It's a good place to start if you want to aspire to dumpling success, right?
1: Sure, because there's there's really not a whole lot of technique involved. I mean, you you mix your filling, um, and it's a ground filling, so there's no, um, that's pretty easy to put together. And then you buy the store bought wrappers, and again, you're not doing any cleaning, you're really just gathering the edges of the wrapper around the filling you don't even have to seal it because it's an it's an open top and then you steam it so um from a, from the standpoint of, of having you know just given some delicacy um at home that is pretty straightforward and and you can do it
2: and, and I can't wait to. Um, are you a are you a sauce kind of girl? Maybe it was the um, New York Jewish household that I grew up in. Um, but I'm big on duck sauce, like old school Chinese duck sauce. And I wonder where you stand on dipping. Uh, oh, did I uh, offend? Did I stick chopsticks I, in my bowl standing upright?
1: Like I don't know what duck sauce is. I'm not right? sure so, either. It's yeah, peachy created um but like there's no in chinese cooking like I don't say to my mom I need some duck sauce for this we don't really know what that is
2: what do you <laughs> so dip is, your dumplings in
1: uh i do the soy sauce and um vinegar sauce that has um g- ginger garlic green onions cilantro so there's a recipe for that it's pretty pretty easy to put together um, so if I'm if I'm dipping, I'll do that, and and I like chili sauce with in that as well. So that's what I dip my dumplings in. But what I also like to do is um, uh, I just like to eat them straight straight up. You know, I like to season the filling enough so that it doesn't need a sauce. Um, but you know, my my husband is a loves sauce, and like so do my kids, and so I will adjust the seasoning of the filling so that to account for the fact that they will drown their dumplings <laughs> in the dipping sauce. <laughs> Dr-
2: <laughs> the operative word: drown. Yeah. Um, okay, maybe a bit more traditional, but something that I would love uh, to taste as well. You make something called tomato egg. That looks so delicious.
1: That is like. Uh, what is the equivalent? You know, it's like um, mac and cheese, or you know, it's it's such a common dish. But if you if you ask any Chinese person, they will go crazy over that, and it's so simple. I mean, it's scrambled eggs in the um, soy sauce slash tomato, fresh tomato uh, sauce, and it's wonderful, and and.
2: Hmm, The creamy egg and the acid of the tomato. Um, And then, uh, I mean, I slobbered over every page of your book. And by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because Xiao Qing Chow is here and her much-anticipated cookbook has just released entitled Chinese Soul Food. I looked through thinking, if food lovers everywhere wanted to duplicate their favorite dish from a Chinese restaurant what would it be and i tried to choose from your recipes and I, I wonder what you would pinpoint as that one dish i chose mongolian beef thinking <laughs> that's a yeah. great thing to master
1: yeah you know i i have a chapter in my book called guilty pleasures and i did grow up in my family's chinese restaurant in columbia missouri um you know that was we we didn't have any restaurant experience but as with many immigrant stories, you, you kind of do what you need to do to make ends meet. And so my parents, who had been per- professionals in Taiwan, somehow ended up in the restaurant business, and this is what I grew up in. And so there's a lot of Americanized dishes that we had to offer, because that's what the customers demanded. Um, but things like uh, the crab rangoon, the, the cream cheese wontons, for example, like that doesn't Really exist in Chinese cooking. Cream cheese doesn't exist in in traditional Chinese cooking, but we had to adapt and create those dishes. Mongolian beef, like I, you know, we don't know what that is, but there is an American Americanized uh, Chinese American dish that's called Mongolian beef, and it's just beef with um, green and yellow onions. Uh, there's also you know beef with broccoli, which is very popular, and and it's adaptable too. I mean, you could take that recipe and, and instead of beef, you could cook it with chicken, have chicken with broccoli or shrimp with broccoli. Uh, so these recipes are very flexible in that sense.
2: And I love that, that you have a balance in the book of those dishes that might not be the uh, quintessential Chinese traditions and then the stir-fried rice cakes that I love Um, that I go to one specific restaurant for, because I like the pork and the vegetables that they put in it. And I've learned to adorn it with black vinegar and chili sauce. And, you know, that being more traditional, there's a a beautiful balance of an appreciation of Chinese cuisine, no matter what you were raised on.
1: Yeah. I wanted to have, I mean, the, the, Little bit more Americanized dishes that are in the back of the book um, acknowledge my upbringing in um, a restaurant in the Midwest, and then the rest of the book um, delves into familiar, more traditional foods, but also some things that may or may not be on um, on you know your your menu. But I but I made them straightforward enough that you can try them. So, some of the noodle soups, for example.
2: Congratulations to you on the book. There is a a whole lot of love in it. And um, your techniques are so approachable. And there are so many wonderful recipes for favorite home style dishes. You can be making red braised pork belly and dry fried green beans and uh, braised beef noodle soup and green onion pancakes and garlic eggplant. That's the list of all the things I can't wait to make. Um, and Xiao Qing's famous pot stickers, along with tips and tricks to care for a walk and how to cook rice properly, they are all generously shared in Chinese soul food. The new cookbook release from Xiao Qing Chow, she says that any kitchen can be a Chinese kitchen. So check it out on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. You can learn more at my Chinese soul Food com. And um, here's to lunch or dinner soon. Xiaoqing, thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. You. As the delicious conversation continues, there's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, satiating your appetite and feeding your soul. And today, we're highlighting good work. Just in time for Earth Day, this is a wonderful opportunity to support the world's largest nonprofit organization that collects discarded soap and shampoo from the hotel industry to help those in need. Brilliant, right? Sean Seipler, the CEO of Clean the World is here. He has distributed over 41 million bars of soap to the poor in 115 different countries with the goal of preventing the spread of illness. And we are celebrating a wonderful example of corporate social responsibility here to enlighten us on how we can all make a difference is Sean Seipler of Clean the World. I'm glad to have you, Sean. Happy Earth Day to you. Uh,
0: thank you, Jamie. It is uh, my total pleasure to be here and uh, and speak to your guests. So thank you for having me.
2: Well, I appreciate it. Can you tell us about the inspiration to start Clean the World, please? Well, in, in 2009,
0: uh, I was a frequent business traveler on the road four nights a week, and um, one day in a hotel room, I wanted to know what happened to the bar of soap, and I was done using it, so I called the front desk, and they told me that it was thrown away. So I, I did some research and figured out that at that time we were throwing away millions of bars of soap every single day out of hotels. And as I continued the research, I, I learned that, again, at that time in 2009, there were 9,000 children under the age of five that were dying every single day to pneumonia and diarrheal disease. It was the number one and number two leading cause of death amongst children worldwide. But what I found was that if we just gave them soap and if we taught them how when to wash their hands, that we could cut those deaths in half. And so that's really what inspired me to go solve that problem and, and make that difference.
2: It's really extraordinary to think about. What a what a used bar of soap can do. And call me ignorant, but you know, in doing my research on clean the world in anticipation of you coming on the show, I didn't realize that these were used bars of soap. I mean, this is a waste not want not lesson.
0: That's that's exactly right. As I like to say, this is a trash into treasure, trash into treasure, no doubt. that's it. So if you look at like, like our partnership with Hilton, it's just a, an amazing impact partnership. With that partnership alone, we have diverted 1 million pounds of soap. So we're able to take that million pounds, we take it through a sanitization, sterilization, we grind it down, and then we remanufacture it into a brand new bar of soap. And that 1 million pounds that did not go into landfill, that turned into 7 million life-saving bars of soap for children, mothers in our local communities and around the world.
2: So you are supporting here in the U.S. and abroad. Are there specific countries that you've made a a greater impact than others in? Well,
0: well, we have sent uh, 45 million bars of soap uh, to 127 countries across the globe. And since the day we started, we have seen a 35% reduction in the death rate to children under the age of five. Uh, We concentrate a lot of our soap goes into more of the poor countries, a lot of Southeast Asia, across Africa, Latin America. Uh, And so we're making a huge difference. As a matter of fact, yesterday, the United Nations added us as the 23rd NGO uh, on its wash cluster. So it's a group that focuses on water, sanitation, and hygiene because of of what we have been able to do. And, again, it's with the partnership of uh, of brands like, for instance, Embassy Suites, Homewood Suites, and Home2 Suites by Hilton. They have us as a brand standard. So every time you stay in one of those hotels, there's 900 of them. Every time you stay in one of them, every time you open a bar of soap, that bar of soap is going to get recycled and distributed locally uh, or around the world.
2: I think that's really extraordinary. And congratulations, by the way, on the new appointment, as you mentioned. But I think if we can all be socially responsible in our own ways if we do what we can uh with travel like you mentioned choosing a hotel that supports uh, corporate social responsibility like you do that supports your cause and the many others then we're making a difference in our own right for Earth Day. I wonder how else can consumers contribute? Because just by using the bar of soap isn't enough, but staying in a Hilton property, knowing that they support you, uh, that's a first step.
0: You're exactly right. Uh, We have to make buying decisions. We have to make travel decisions uh, based on those brands, those companies, those hospitality brands that are engaging in sustainable uh, corporate responsible uh, responsible initiatives uh, it's it's just so important and, and you know we're we're seeing more and more uh, companies that are engaging in those practices talking about it you know ninety percent of travelers prefer to stay in a sustainable hotel and thirty four percent of travelers are willing to pay more money. Uh, if that hotel is sustainable and recycling it and talking about it. So, you know, when you book at properties like those Hilton properties and the embassy suites and Homewood suites and Home 2 suites by Hilton, who have us as brand standard, you are guaranteed that they're going to be making a difference.
2: Thank you for good work and for making a difference and for inspiring all of us to be better, to be mindful, to be thoughtful uh, in situations and scenarios like you were in a hotel room using a bar of soap in the shower and wondering how you could make a difference and pay it forward. Where can we go for more info? How can you continue to spread your word so that we can uh, all support?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for those uh, kind words and words of
2: encouragement. Well-deserved.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you can go to CleanTheWorld.org to learn more about Clean the World. Uh, And you can go to cr.hilton.com to learn more about the sustainable green initiatives that Hilton is engaging across their, their global platform.
2: And so that brings us to the end of another hour. I hope that I inspired you, that I fed your soul, that I satiated your appetite and that you will tune in every weekend and share your passion for all things delicious. Uh, This earth day weekend, do something good, pay it forward And of course, continue to eat well, but don't go yet. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour. Every week I share a three, four, or five ingredient recipe uh, because like you, I'm busy and I love the simple go-to. And this is a super quick, super tasty, sweet treat that you can whip up for impromptu visitors or for a sweet bite at the end of dinner. It's a pint-sized dessert indulgence, I call it. It's a Bailey's and coffee cheesecake truffle where... You combine softened cream cheese with Bailey's liqueur, a little bit of confectioner's sugar, and some instant coffee granules. Then you drop teaspoon-sized balls of the mixture that you've rolled, of course, concentric, small and smooth, into grated chocolate, and you chill them until firm. You have a couple bites of indulgent cheesecake, Perfect for that sweet ending. And I will, of course, share the recipe on social at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Chef Jamie Gwen is where you'll find me. And I'll meet you here next weekend where there will, uh, I promise, be lots more fabulous food in your radio. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.